So it's really, really important to find something that's worth repeating and then be willing to commit, even if there are other things you want to say, because it's better to get one message to land than to have a dozen great messages that fall flat and get forgotten. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Scaling DevTools, the show that investigates how DevTools go from zero to one. I am delighted today to have Jason Langstorff on the show. Jason is the host of Learn With Jason, a pair programming YouTube channel with more than 30,000 subscribers. And Jason was previously the VP of DevX at Netlify and now helps startups produce better developer content. I've been a big fan of Jason's YouTube channel for a while now, so it is really exciting to have you on, Jason. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Jason, one of your blog posts recently was talking about how creating great content is a process and not a project. As someone who has a great YouTube channel, could you talk a little bit about why that's so? I I think there are a few factors that go into it. When you're looking at building content, I think that the urge is to think of each piece of content as a standalone unit where you are coming up with an idea, you're creating the thing, you launch the thing, and then you leave that in the archives and move on to your next project, which is a wholesale starting over again with the whole process. And that can be true. But if we look at the content that has the most impact for us personally, I would be willing to bet that almost all of us rely on series more than we do on standalone pieces. And Looking at it from that lens, then as a content creator, your goal should be to create something that is familiar because the value of content isn't unique presentation, isn't that it's got a a brand new layout or a brand new approach to packaging. It's what you say. And so finding a way to iteratively improve how you deliver content and rely on what you've done before to improve what you've, what you do in the future is going to have a significantly bigger impact because you're spending less energy on how will I do this? And you're spending more energy on what will I say? So that's one big factor of it is by creating series, by creating episodic content, you're you're able to create a process for a lot of the foundational structural pieces of the the content. And that lets you focus just on the content itself, what you're trying to say. The other piece of it is that I think people worry a lot about whether they have got the perfect approach or the, the correct format or the right gear or the right positioning and they'll wait to put anything out until they feel like they've got it all just right. And that leads to significantly less content. Every piece of content is really stressful and the overall impact is much lower because even if I put out a absolute banger of well-researched and thought through and highly produced piece, if I only do one of those a year, it's just not going to land the same way that somebody doing something once a week, even if their thing is less produced, less thought through, lower quality, that consistency pays off. And so I think the trick to getting to high quality is iterative, slow progress. It's a process of trying, learning, subtle improvements, trying again, learning again, and continuing that. So if you look at Learn With Jason, for example, if you go back to our first episode in 2018, 
it's me and Nader Dabit on a Zoom call and you can see the Zoom screen sharing UI and you know it's very clearly not a produced show. I don't even know if I had a single overlay graphic. I might have had like a little icon down in the corner because I was at Gatsby at the time. And since then, if you kind of skip forward a few months at a time, you can see the slow introduction of, well, now I have the Twitch chat available. Now I have an overlay with the name of the episode. Now I've got a place for the videos to be that's got the guest name on it. It was very slow, but I was always building off of what was working in previous episodes and then adding another thing that I thought would be good. And now, you know, four years later, the show is significantly more polished, but I have a million ideas for things that I still want to do that I haven't had time for yet. And if I was waiting until I had all of that done before I would pull the trigger on anything at all, I'd be four years down planning and I'd have no episodes, but instead I've got 300 and 20 something episodes, I think at this point, and each one of them is a little bit better than the one that I did before. And I think that has a significantly higher impact on the quality than any amount of planning or preparation that I could do. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an amazing way to think about it. If you're a startup, or when you work with startups, I know you're doing that a lot at the moment, and they have so much uncertainty, how do you kind mm. of get them to commit to I'm going to go focus on this process when things are kind of changing a lot. And this is going to be a little bit of tough love for the startups. And this is something that I've learned the hard way. The most damaging thing you can do as a company for your brand and your marketing is change it every few weeks. And Yes, as a startup, you have tons of uncertainty. You're learning new things every day. So much new information is coming to light and you always want to adjust and tweak. And, oh, we got a better message. Oh, this resonates better. The problem is it takes so long to get a message to saturation in a community. And if you look at the companies that are doing a great job of this, they have one message and they've been repeating it for months. Do they have a better way to explain their product? Absolutely. I talk to their DevRels all the time and they're always giving me a new analogy or some new use case or whatever, but they're really consistent in their messaging and it only changes every once in a while. And you see this in TV advertising as well, where a company picks their message and they stay on message for a minimum of a quarter, but typically six to nine months. And then if it's really successful, they just stick with it. You know, we've seen progressive has been doing the the ads for car insurance in the U S where they have the same spokesperson for it's gotta be a decade at this point. And Geico has got the gecko and, you know, we've got a few where these companies very clearly found a thing that works and they're sticking on that message. But even the ones that change relatively frequently, like Apple, they have one message and they stay on it for about six to nine months. And it's about like they were on security for a while. They wanted to talk about privacy and how their phones were were really difficult to hack and how your data was safe. They'll make sure that that message lands, that people say that. When you talk about Apple, it'll come up organically in conversation. Oh yeah, well, they're big on privacy. And then, you know, and it doesn't matter if that's true or not. It's just what they've said so often that now people repeat it, right? And there are about a billion other things that Apple could be talking about. They could be talking about the quality of their camera. They could be talking about the new M2 chips. They could be talking about, you know, anything. They have a million products and they've got a million features and any of those things would be good. But if they tried to talk about all of them, we wouldn't remember any of them, right? And so I think what happens is a lot of startups, they get into this mode of thinking, we have to launch everything. Everything we talk about has to be new. And that means that any given piece of information has a three week shelf life. 
and no one remembers any of it. So I, I've seen this firsthand when I was at Netlify. We would regularly have some feature that we thought was incredible. We would launch it. We'd go hard. There'd be a bunch of excitement. And then we'd kind of move on to the next thing. And then months later, somebody would go, God, I really just wish any company would do whatever the thing was that we had launched because no one actually, it never stuck in their brains that we had created it, that it was there. And we've watched other companies launch the same feature that we had to a bunch of fanfare. Like, finally, somebody's doing this thing. And we're like, wait, we did that months ago, but we never told anybody about it. We didn't keep on message. So it's really, really important to find something that's worth repeating and then be willing to commit, even if there are other things you want to say, because it's better to get one message to land than to have a dozen great messages that fall flat and get forgotten. That's like an amazing, amazing explanation, Jason. Thank you so much. Um, actually, on this point about content, so startups, they get their process going and, and they're you know, reeling out content on a weekly basis. How can they start to reuse that content and make it kind of go further? I've seen you write a lot about this. I kind of jokingly call this the buffalo stick, which is an homage to to Sarah Drasner, who's kind of famous for for coming up with gibberish terms to describe really brilliant concepts. <laughs> what that means is it's it's this idea of both. There's the old adage of like, use every part of the buffalo, nothing goes to waste, right? And then there's the other one of feed two birds with one scone, or there's a, a, a more common violent version. And that's sort of how this came as it was like, yeah, use every part of the buffalo, oh, scratch multiple buffalo with one stick, oh, the buffalo stick, right? It's just nonsense. But it sticks in my brain. And what that means is, is this general approach of looking at the things you do, not just for the one goal that you set out with. And the example I use a lot is I'm a DevRel. I'm going to go out and make a tutorial about how to use this particular tool with my company. And along the way, I'm going to need to talk to a couple experts on the tool. I'm going to do some, you know, some exploration. I'm going to try it out a few different ways and, you know, experiment with plugging in different connectors, maybe a different state management library, maybe a different front-end framework, whatever it is, right? And each of those things that I'm trying, I'm learning. I'm getting a better end product. And then I'm going to uh, write my article. I'm going to get my demo built and put all that source code into the article. And then I publish it and then I'm done, right? And in the traditional way of thinking, I would have made one thing. I would have made the tutorial. So then you can start thinking like, what... Wasn't that other content valuable though? Like, didn't I do other things that people would benefit from? Like that conversation with an expert on a tool about how to use that tool together with the thing that I build. That's interesting. Why are they good or not? What, what is the, the compatibility, the pros and cons, the trade-offs? That conversation that I use to inform my article is a great separate piece of content. And the exploration that I'm doing where I try out different things, I could just go live on Twitch and try that, you know, and here's me working through some of my ideas and it's not all going to work, but Hey, if you want to follow along and co-work with me, come learn. I'm playing with this thing today. Then there's discussion, there's community building. There's this, this sense of camaraderie of people trying things out together. Then you have the actual demo that you build during that demo. You're going to hit error messages. You're going to find things that you have to Google. And there are a few of those things you Google aren't going to be very well documented. Write the 500 word post that answers the question that you had trouble Googling. So there's a little mini piece that comes off of that. And those are SEO gold, like writing error messages. I'm not the first person to think about this. 
but it is such a good way if you are trying to make a point and drive traffic to your to your content like show people how to solve common error messages in the thing that they're using so that's maybe one or two more little pieces that come out of it then you make your tutorial well, the tutorial is teaching you how to build an app. What if that app was just easy to deploy? Now you can make it into a kind of ready to deploy template with a little bit of cleanup. And if it's, you know, maybe something you can deploy to Netlify Oversell and you put that in the, the here's the button, just deploy this right now. It's going to run. Then you've written this tutorial. You've got a playbook now. Go record that. Make a video out of it. Talk, you know, put the steps of you building this thing from the tutorial that you just built so you know it's going to work build that on a, a video and edit that down and embed it in the, the tutorial itself, but also like just set it loose on YouTube, put it on different like educational channels. And suddenly this one thing, this one tutorial that you were going to build turns into like 10 plus pieces of useful content. And each one of them is something a little bit different, but everybody in the industry learns differently. I prefer watching somebody build so that I can watch it at 2x speed, skip around to the pieces where I, I'm learning the thing that they need to do, and then I can try it myself. That's how I learn. Other people want to read. They do really well with written content, and they get some information that they can then copy-paste out and try it out and see it running. Other people want to hear the discussion. Why do experts think the way that they do? Why? What, how do they make decisions? How are they debugging? Other people just want somebody to co-work with. Each one of these things is valuable in a different way. And so if you are building a thing don't just think about the one application. Think about all the other ways that these things you're doing, this is time you're spending, make it more valuable. And you can do that by thinking of ways to reuse and repackage. And often that stuff doesn't add that much overall time to the project. So, you know, it can be a huge time multiplier. If you get 10 pieces of unique content out of one tutorial build, instead of the, call it eight to 16 hours you would spend on the tutorial itself, equaling one piece of content. Now maybe you spend 24 hours, but you get 10 pieces of content and that's a pretty big return on investment, right? So that's the, that's a lot of that content reuse is mostly just getting scrappy and recognizing that if you're looking at it from the right perspective, almost everything you're doing as part of your preparation and learning process that gets you to the thing you set out to do is also valuable in different ways and can be used as its own brand of content. Yeah, I love it. I love how you put that together. Because if you just set out to write a tutorial on YouTube, and then a completely other tutorial that was written, those things are going to take so much time. There's so much like, hate to use the word synergy, but like you've done the hard work. Yeah. And the video tutorial and the written tutorial, that Venn diagram is almost a circle. Like it's so close in terms of what you're going to do. So to not do both, like you don't have to, not everybody's comfortable making videos. You don't have to do all of these things, but you can find a lot of different ways to reuse that content. And then each hour counts for two, instead of you having to come up with individual projects for each thing that you want to build. And I imagine there's a lot of kind of, you could get collaboration on these things where you could create the tutorial but someone else could create the video and this is actually something that i think is is very easy in theory and it gets tricky fast but in a in a high functioning team you can absolutely build out these processes where the team sort of thinks of the the bigger story they want to tell and then everybody starts to take slices of of how that thing is going to get built um We've done it a couple times on the, the DX team at Netlify where, for example, we wanted to do a big 
blitz on teaching people how to use Contentful with different frameworks on Netlify. And we took the whole team. Everybody chose which framework they wanted to work on. And then we kind of split up and figured out what the common pieces were. And there was some like serverless glue code that needed to exist. And so one of the folks on the team built that. And then everybody was able to reuse a lot of their content. And you could, yeah, we, we've we done it where like we've got a, a content person who can take an interview and turn it into a written article. And we've got somebody in the, the press team who can take a big demo collaboration and kind of turn that into a PR tour of what's the framing of that and then pitch that out to different podcasts and, and news publications to see if we can get coverage. And, you know, so, so there's lots of different ways that you can work with your team to try to figure out how can everybody take this effort that we're making and, and use it in different ways so that we're not all trying to come up with bespoke projects to, to meet our OKRs, but rather we're all working on one big project that now has all these branches that, that lead to more. And this really heavily relies on that one message, right? So going back to what I said earlier about being focused and on message, if the whole company is focused on one message, it's much easier for the email marketing team and the PR team and the content marketing team and the SEO team and the DevRel team and the sales team to all be building artifacts that rely on each other's work because you're all on the same message. If you're, if everybody's trying to find something else to market, you're launching a new thing every couple of weeks. It's almost impossible to do this because you're going to find that all of the teams have some initiative that doesn't quite overlap properly. So you just end up not doing it. Everybody's got their own project. You work in silos and things kind of, you know, do the whole thing. So the, the magic here is really being very disciplined and this discipline has to come from leadership. So the founders, the C level, whatever size company you're in, if there's not focus there, the rest of the company cannot focus. Even if the CEO of the company has literally nothing to do with the execution on the marketing side, if the CEO can't focus on a message and keeps telling everybody, well, now our focus is this, well, now our focus is this, then you're never going to get good marketing because you're, you're actively pulling the strategic rug out from under everybody on your team and they can't create cohesive and, and more elaborate messages because they're just going to keep hitting that wall of like, well, okay, we've got, what can we do in three weeks is very different from what can we do in six months. You talk about this consistent message coming from the top. If you're working mm -hmm. with a startup and you're working directly with the founders, what kind of things are you telling them to help them stay on message? I mean, the biggest thing is, is really embracing that you have to believe that what you're building is good and that it's worth talking about. And so it's, it's a lot of taking time early out to think through who buys our product, who should be buying our product? What is the value of that product? What problem do people have that leads them to choosing this tool? And if you can understand like developers at this size of company solving this category of problems tend to choose our tool because it makes XYZ problems disappear, you can get really clear on the marketing messaging and on the outgoing messaging that you want to give and be really confident that it's going to land. And then you just kind of have to rely on the founders having the self-control because again, somebody at the founder level at the C level is they're drinking from a fire hose. They're getting new metrics every day. They're getting industry information. They've got gossip from their back channels. They're hearing what's going on in their competitors. They're hearing from the VCs, what the industry's doing. There's this urge to be like, Oh, we got to adjust. Oh, we got to adjust. We got to adjust. And 
that adjustment feels really productive when you're a founder and it's exactly the opposite. Like tearing up your roadmap every two weeks because you heard new industry information is a great way to make sure that everybody's spinning their wheels and not a lot is happening. And so the important thing that I try to talk through with founders and, and the message that, you know, if you look through what I write on the lead dev or, or things like that, it's very much about, it is so much better to be consistent with a pretty good message than to be inconsistent with very good messages. You're just not going to get any, I mean, there's so many different ways to this is phrased, but you're not going to build a head of steam. You're not going to build momentum if everybody's not pushing consistently. And uh, a way that I've heard this put that I think is actually brilliant, it was framed from the standpoint of hospitality. It's Danny Meyer, who's the restaurateur who's responsible for Shake Shack and some high-end restaurants in New York. His management philosophy is constant gentle pressure. And what he means by that is he's talking about if you're the manager of a restaurant, when you're looking around at the tables and, and you see that the table was reset and like the centerpiece is a little off center, you got to stop and go get your crew and come back and be like, Hey, make sure these are exactly centered and, you know, push them on that thing. But it's these little things, this constant gentle pressure of correcting and moving toward the right things that doesn't feel overbearing. You're not coming in with brand new strategies and rip up everything. You're always just gently guiding everyone toward the thing, but you're never letting up on that. And that's the importance of this messaging. If you are a startup and you're looking at what you want to accomplish, your goal, your job is to have the entire company exerting constant gentle pressure on the audience that you want to use your product. You are trying to give them a message that shows them how their life can improve, how their workload can be better if they use your tool. And the only way that happens is if you're consistent in your messaging and you're constant in your messaging. Big, loud, flash in the, plans, in the pan stuff is exciting, but like we hear that all the time. It's the Twitter main character cycle where somebody does something and we all talk about it for three days and then we literally forget about it. And then you can make a meme out of it a year later saying, hey, remember Bean Dad? And everybody chuckles a little bit, but there was no like noticeable impact on the discourse or on the way people think about the world as a result of that thing. Like Supabase is really good at this. If you look at Supabase's marketing, they have one message and they've got one playbook. They do memes and they do launch weeks and then they just push on that message and everybody is starting to get it. Everybody thinks of Supabase early. If you think about databases in the, the front end space, I guarantee you they will be on the list if somebody starts listing off database companies. And as a result, they're very present. They've started to build good inroads. You could get into the technical discussion of like, is it better than XYZ? And maybe, but the, the answer is it's going to get used more because they're consistent and they are constantly there. They're applying that constant gentle pressure of messaging and consistency. You can look at their work. They're very much following that like process, not a project. They use the same things and they just iterate on them over and over again through time. And that's led to them having this very constant and strong presence in the community. So we've got process, we've got constant gentle pressure. And I know you're speaking with a lot of founders right now. So I just mm -hmm. wondered if there's anything else that you're speaking to them about that they should be doing well. The other main thing to really be thinking about as a company, there are about a million factors that you have to balance to succeed. 
And so you're trying to find the right balance between, you know, we need conversion, we need higher ACVs, we need, we need more leads, we need more people moving deeper into the funnel, we need a bigger top of funnel, we need more brand recognition. And the levers that are out there, each one of them influences the others, but they all have to be in place. And so what I've seen some companies overfocus on is they'll pick one piece of their process and they'll only do that. So you'll see a company go on like an adoption drive where all they want, they don't care who it is, why it is, what, what matters. They just want more users. And then all of their users are unhappy because they came in for the wrong reasons. They went on this push of like, sign up, sign up, sign up, and they'll gamify it, right? You get these companies that they come up with something that's like novel. It's fun to look at. People want to play with it. And then they force people to register to play with the thing. And so it's got this virality and then they get a, you know, a hundred thousand registrations and none of them convert because nobody wanted to go to the thing. Nobody wanted the, the product. They just wanted to play with the toy, right? You've basically gamed this metric now where you've created something that just literally doesn't matter. And so now not only is that thing that they're building, all their metrics are broken because their top of funnel is going to look strong. And now their, their conversion is going to be in like trash and all of their downstream metrics are going to look like garbage because they gamified the top of funnel. Brand awareness is another thing where like, if you overfocus on brand awareness, but you have no idea why somebody would come through your funnel and actually convert to a paying customer, if you don't know who your customers are, what problems they are trying to solve, then you leave yourself open to this really pretty negative problem where you have now like started to build a brand and you don't know what the perception of the brand is because you don't know what people should be believing about the brand, right? And all of these, it's fully integrated from the, the first time somebody sees your logo down to when you get the enterprise million dollar contract signed. All, each step of that way, they're all influencing factors. So I think it's really important for founders to be aware that like where you show up, how your message lands, how you move somebody from like, I've seen your logo to I'm trying your, your tool to I'm being onboarded into your tool to I'm ready to swipe a credit card. Each of those steps should feel consistent. It should feel like you're going on the same journey and it shouldn't feel like, oh, well, it was great when I was a solo dev, but now that I'm in sales, this feels really weird right? Like it has to feel consistent. You've got to be creating a good story all the way through. And that's where that like one message, constant gentle pressure, if the whole company's on the same message, it's really hard to feel disjointed and to feel like you're not part of the same story. And it's also easier to start thinking about these things in terms of like actual flow. If we're out there with this message of like developers with X problem need our tool, that's your branding awareness. That's your acquisition, your landing pages, your homepage. All of these things are kind of building around that. And then your onboarding is, I'm going to show you how to use our tool to overcome the problem we said you had. And now when you get into your sales cycle, we say, hey, it looks like you're a pretty big company solving this problem. Do you want to kind of look at our more advanced offerings? It can make this even better for teams. And then they say, yeah, I'd love to. And then you get them into the sales process. They're like, yeah, so you came in, you're, you're struggling with this. And they say, yeah, I was struggling with that. It's like all part of one conversation now, as opposed to, well, you came up as a sales lead. So let me just like beat you over the head with our sales deck and hopefully you'll say yes. Right. And I think that's what is happening in a lot of these companies is they don't have that cohesive story because they're not thinking about the end to end message, then they're not on a single message. So everybody's making up their own set of value props that are 
true, but not necessarily cohesive. I'm someone that's worked in development teams as well as in sales teams. And I can see when you talk about that kind of joint up messaging and being consistent, how much easier that would be to kind of make sure that knowledge is spread across the organization. Because if features are changing every on a weekly basis or monthly right. basis, you know, it's going to be yeah really hard, I guess, for the sales team to kind of stay a abreast with some of these things, especially in dev tools where it may not always be, you know, something that they'd have experienced themselves as a problem. So take some learning or a bit of time allocated. You, you mentioned the like new features every week. The other thing that's really important about this constant gentle pressure and, and consistent messaging is that also applies to the product roadmap. Like if you know which problem set you're trying to solve, which user you're trying to acquire, your product roadmap gets a little simpler, right? Because I, I think what we ran into at several companies I've worked at is we didn't have an ideal customer profile. We didn't have a clear vision for who we were trying to reach, which problems they were trying to solve. And so every feature was kind of like, well, we heard somebody say this, so let's build it. Oh, we heard somebody else say this, so let's build that. And suddenly we've got 20, 30 things on our roadmap. And the validation is like, yes, the community is talking about them, but is is the person in the community somebody who's actually going to buy our product? Or is that somebody just kind of having ideas and they would never, no matter what we do, they will never swipe their credit card. And so if we build that feature, we're building it for somebody who's not interested. And if you get into that really consistent messaging, then when a product feature comes up, somebody says, we should build X. And we go, great. How does that help ideal customers solve X problem that we have stated is our message? And somebody says, it doesn't. We say, great, put it on the good ideas that we're not going to do list. And we're going to focus on these three things that actually move that needle because every feature is useful. And the, the hardest part I think about success is realizing that you're moving from the standpoint of build anything and see what sticks. You're just saying yes all the time. There are opportunities. We're going to chase them all. We're going to see what works. You start to see success and you have to shift out of that mindset to most of the time, I'm going to say no. The vast majority of ideas are great ideas that we're not going to follow through on because we can't split the focus that way. We have to focus on the thing that we're trying to solve. And if we do it and we're not getting ROI and we're not seeing registrations and people that we thought were having this problem solved aren't actually willing to pay us, we got to figure out why. Like, did, did we do bad research? Did we miss on the execution? There's a thing that goes wrong here. But if we validate one market, then we can shift that market. If we're just spaghetti at the wall, when it's not working, the most likely culprit is lack of focus. But then you don't know how to focus because you haven't, you're not validating markets. You're not disqualifying groups of people who don't care about your product. And instead you're just saying like, please come, please pay. And a couple people do and a couple people don't. You don't have a clear idea of why, which makes it so much harder to adjust when things aren't going the way you want them to go. And, you know, the last thing you want is to have a product that's got a good product market fit, but you're not quite sure which market that is. And so you're seeing everything grow. And then you kind of hit that first plateau where the business isn't growing the way you thought it was. And you realize, holy shit, we don't know why we were growing. We have no idea who this audience is, what market this is, why they use our product. We just know that a certain group of people love us. 
And we're not reaching more of those people anymore. You don't know how to market. You don't know how to phrase things. You don't know onboarding. You don't know which obstacles you need to overcome. You're back at ground zero now. You got to go do all of that research, all the customer profile building, just to understand who already paid you so that you can then go and build out a marketing strategy to get more of those people. So you want to do that as early as you can. (laughs) You want to do that before you hit the plateau, before you find out that your investors are like, hey, your numbers aren't looking good. You better fix this, right? Like do it before there's pressure to do it because then you can do a good job. That sounds like a really hard thing to do. Probably Mm -hmm. lots of moving parts and maybe beyond the scope of what I could get through with you on the podcast. But (laughs) it sounds like if it was something that the companies that you've worked at, it's companies I've seen, it's so hard to know. Like there's so many questions I have here on like, I mean, how do you even refer that back to your ideal customer profile? How do you keep that updated? But in terms of not knowing which market you're in, like that seems like an incredibly hard question to answer. Yeah. I mean, the, the short answer is hire great UX researchers and then listen when they tell you things like that, like for real, really? just do those two things and you will be better than 80% of the companies out there because most companies don't have UX research. They just kind of rely on their guts. They rely on what they're hearing from other people. And that's fine at the early stages, but as soon as you grow it all, you're no longer your target customer. And now you need someone to tell you who that is. So you need a UX researcher. And then the the second piece, and this is the really hard piece, is once you've hired an expert and they tell you something you don't want to hear, you have to listen to them. <laughs> like when they come and say, I know that you thought you were X kind of business and that that was really cool and exciting, but everybody who's paying us is this kind of business that you're not super interested in, but that's where people are willing to pay. And you go, mm, I don't want to do that. I want to be a cool business. And then you're just like fighting against, you can pivot and try to be appealing to the cool business, but like, listen to the people that you hire who are experts on determining that information. And if you want a successful company, you got to go where the customers are. And so many businesses started thinking they were one thing and then realized that what people wanted was a different thing. And the ones that we hear about are the ones that listened. That's amazing. Have you got any articles or posts on this? Because I want to learn more about this. I'm going to have to listen back to this and like take some notes on things that need to get broken out into full posts. This stuff is like, it's hard, you know, it's the basic things that you hear. And, but then the way that you're explaining it, it's like, wow, like, yes, so many companies don't do this, but then to do it is difficult. Well, I don't even know if it's difficult so much as it's boring. (laughs) I think that so much of what goes wrong in tech is that we are like founders are novelty seeking people. They want to invent things and create stuff and solve exciting problems. And building a strong business is boring as shit because what it means is you got to get the fundamentals right and you got to, you got to listen to people and follow what the research says. And that doesn't feel exciting. It feels once you start getting product market fit, it feels easy because a good UX researcher is going to give you incredible information. And if you act on that information, you're going to get good results because they talk to your customers and customers told you what they would pay for. So you build that, you don't build anything else and you just print money, right? And it's really boring (laughs) and you want to go out and invent something. You want to push the envelope. You want to be a technical innovator and they'll put 80% of their focus on the excitement and 20% or less on the fundamentals. And that causes so many of these companies to start out so strong because they're like, as a founder, your gut's good. You had a good business idea. And then it hit reality and new information emerged. You 
choose to act on it or not. And if you choose not to act on it and instead to keep trusting your gut, you're going to get further and further away from the people who want to pay you money because you're building for yourself. And you as a founder who builds this tool have a very different set of needs because you know how to build this tool. And you are a founder building a successful dev tools company, not the company that needs to pay for that dev tool. So your gut gets worse and worse as you become more and more successful as a founder. And so you really, really, really have to focus on research and trusting that research. And it's so boring and it's so effective. Boring, but effective. Mm Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Okay, Jason, I think we've covered some absolute gold here. And I was just wondering if you could do a very quick two second TLDR for those that are listening to take away. Let's see if we can do this in bullet point format. The first thing is remember to trust the process here. Each thing that you're building is a a process, not a project. You're building on your past success and working toward future higher heights. Also make sure that you're reusing content. So lean into that Buffalo stick and make sure that each effort that you do gets used in multiple ways and ideally as broadly as you can, uh, which all relies on staying on message. So choose the story you want to tell and then tell it consistently for at least a quarter, if not longer, as long as you reasonably can. And then as you see that success, make sure that you realize that your gut is going to get worse over time and hire experts to talk to your customers and tell you what the customers actually want and what problems they're actually solving and willing to pay for. And make sure that you do that. Do the boring fundamentals of building things for the people who pay you and resist that urge to chase the novelty of going out and trying to invent new things that should lead to great success for, you know, for any company that's able to follow that. Amazing summary. Jason, thank you so much for your time. I am recommending any founders that are looking for a bit of help reach out to you, but how else can people discover you, Jason? The easiest way to find me is to go to jason.af slash links. And that has a list of all the places that I am on the internet. I'm also on learnwithjason.dev. That's where all of the pair programming videos are and schedule of upcoming stuff and my newsletters there for folks to get more information. Amazing. Jason, thanks for coming. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you again next week.